are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day on today's show, we'll be joined by Mike Richmond from Locked On Blazers as Dame Time has officially become trade time with Portland Blazers star Damian Lillard officially requesting a trade. Where will Portland ultimately wind up dealing him and why did they still sign Jeremy Grant to a five year deal? Then we'll be joined by Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns. As the Phoenix Suns make a flurry of moves, adding some much-needed depth, which addition will be the most important, and what does the future hold for DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix? Lastly, Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers swings by as the LA Lakers reshape their roster, adding names like Gabe Vincent and Torian Prince while holding on to Austin Reeves and other key pieces, but is it enough to close the gap with the Denver Nuggets? Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Blazers, Mike Richmond. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Blazers. And Mike, Damian Lillard officially requesting a trade after what feels like rumors upon rumors upon rumors. My first question to you is right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is Dame's loyalty currently? Oh, Maybe off the scale. It's probably, it's probably like a like a four. You know, like he's he's probably he's probably below average loyalty. But um, you know, I, in some ways he didn't want to do this. He kind of told them what to do and they didn't do it. Uh, but also like he requested a trade on Saturday morning. So um, it's uh, we're we are we are into the new era of whatever's next, and it could take us a little while to get there. Yeah, so let's walk us through really quickly here. Well, I guess why now, right? Why was the timing of this at, at this current juncture? Why did it happen when it did? And was was Portland not trading the number three pick and ultimately drafting Scoot Henderson kind of the final final nail in the coffin, so to speak, as to Dame's decision to ultimately stay in Portland or or request a trade? Right. So. Starting at exit interviews, the Blazers season ended in April, mercifully. And at exit interviews, Damian Lord said very, very clearly, very plainly for all of us to hear, you do not need sources to figure it out. You just need it. You'd need access, access to some headphones. Maybe you could use your car speakers. He said, I'm done with 19 year olds. If they go that route, that's not my route. And if that's what they decide to do, we will have a conversation about what's next. And even when pressed for clarification, is that, do you mean that they should make a trade? Yes, that's what I mean. They should make a big trade. He then reiterated that on an interview with ESPN2 with on, with Stephen A. Smith on ESPN2. He then reiterated that on an interview in, on Showtime, which he, he hypothetically considered, if I were to ask for a trade, two places I might consider playing are Miami and Brooklyn. So the Blazers go into the draft with marching orders. If you take a 19-year-old, it's gonna ha- you're going to have to have a tough conversation. Not only did they draft Dame's heir apparent at three with Scoot Henderson, a six foot two point guard that looks like he could be a franchise type player, they also used their other pick in the draft at 23. 
the 23rd pick in the draft. They didn't make any trades. They didn't add any veterans. They brought in a 19-year-old, a 23-year-old, and a 19-year-old. Well, as it turns out, that route is not his route. So then they met following the draft on Monday. Dame comes back from Paris, meets with the team, and says, hey, what the heck? And they say, we still want you to be here. We'll figure it out. He says, okay, figure it out. I'll give you a week. After the first night of free agency, all they do is give Jeremy Grant a fat contract. They've made no other trades, no other additions. And Dame wakes up Saturday morning and says, okay, I want to trade. Um, maybe he helps Jeremy Grant get paid along the way, but this was always going to be the way it went. If, if the Blazers chose to go this route, it wasn't going to be his route. He was clear about it. Here we are, Jackson. Okay, so, and I, I, we want to get to the potential, you know, Lillard destinations here in a minute, but the part that is so confusing to me and probably many others is why sign Jeremy Grant to the five-year, $160 million deal if you knew that Dame was getting ready to ask out? What, what, did they think that that was going to be the saving grace move? Oh, we, we signed, we, you got Jeremy Grant back. You'll stay now, right, Dame? Was that the move? I mean, the messaging, quite frankly, from the Blazers has been that they still don't want to trade Dame and they want to move forward with him and they want him to be there and they're going to work out what's best for the team. And so the messaging at the time was like, if if you were going to keep Dame, step one was sign Jeremy Grant, right? Like that had to happen. Um, there's also some, you know, he was, they traded a first round pick for him. He's kind of like the last little bit of the CJ McCollum trade. So there was some reasons like opportunity cost stuff to like, not lose him for, you know, not let him walk for nothing and end up with just like, oh yeah, we traded CJ McCollum for the rights to Chris Murray um, and whatever. Uh, sometimes trades are bad. They might learn that in the future. Um, but it is, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to sit here and justify it. The money, the years, you know, Jeremy had him over a barrel and he took all the cash he possibly could. Technically, he could have taken more. <laughs> That's not even close to his full max, right? Um, he came up about $80 million short of what would have been the absolute full insano max for Jeremy Grant. But he got one of the largest contracts. And if you just look at guys sort of in his realm, like the Kyle Kuzmas of the world, he got a lot more money than those dudes. And then Dame era is done. It's bizarre. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't have an explanation. For, what I'll say is, it's good to work with Rich Paul. I think it's good to work with Rich Paul. If you get an opportunity to work with that gentleman, I recommend it. If he's negotiating your future contracts at anything you got, Jackson, any employment opportunities, you're going to do really well. Yeah, he uh, that, that man could uh, negotiate. I don't know. He could sell water to a fish. Pop, I don't know. Ketchup <laughs> popsicle to a woman in white gloves, as they said in Tommy <laughs> Boy. That's a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. He there got go. $160 million for Jeremy Grant. It's going to make 36 million bucks on his 34th birthday, uh, right when Scoot Henderson hits free agency. So it's going to really, it's going to work out well for everyone. Thank you for the, uh, for saving me because I was searching, digging for an analogy and could not find That's one. why you had me on. That's there why we you go. had me on. The, the king of analogies here, pass first point guard and king of analogies over at Locked On Blazers. All right. So Dame, a, a lot of the signs are pointing towards the Miami Heat as Dame's preferred destination, I guess, at this point. Uh, what is a, at least an attract, uh, maybe attractive is not the right word, a realistic? the right word. <laughs> okay, what's the most realistic offer that the Miami Heat could at least put on the table for Damian Lillard at this point? So the, no, the maximum number of picks the Miami Heat are going to be allowed to trade, period, is three. They'll be able to trade three first-round picks, 
period, maximum. There's no negotiating. You can't hold out for four because they legally can only trade you a three. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to clear up some pick up future pick owed to OKC, even to get a third pick to trade. They can trade two second round picks, two, two seconds, three firsts, and a deal centered around Tyler Hero. Now, it could include Nikolajovich, who, like, sure, he was the first round pick a year ago. It could include first round pick this year, Jaime Jaquez, although he signed a contract uh, this week, so they it'll take a month. We might be in it for a month. Listen to Lockdown Blazers, it's going to be a long month. Um, it, 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 would, it could include Kyle Lowry's expiring contract or Duncan Robinson's expiring contract. Here's the thing, though. That, that deal sucks. It sucks. It's bad. Um, it's just, it's no good. Tyler Hero might be good. If you might think he's better than I do, I don't think he's particularly good. He's fine. He's a dude who can score in the league. That There's some value in dudes who can score, and he's really young. He might get better. The Blazers have a bunch of young guards who can score and might get better. That's the thing they have the most of if they trade Dame. It's no value to them. The real hurdle here is that the other teams that are going to try to trade for Dame, and I'm going to talk about this on my show, so if you want to hear me talk about this at length, listen to Lockdown Blazers wherever you get podcasts. The other offers suck too. Man, I haven't ever been there before with a certain bearded uh Two guard who will remain nameless up to this point. It's not a fun spot to be in, but of course you're going to have us covered for all of that over at Locked On Blazers. Where will Damian Lillard ultimately end up? Be sure to go follow Locked On Blazers. Mike, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Hey, thanks for having me. I promise the show's fun. <laughs> the show's fun. Come listen to it. Coming up, the Phoenix Suns making a flurry of moves at the start of NBA free agency, adding some much-needed depth. How will that help their title odds? Could we see any of those pieces step into the Suns starting a lineup? And what do these additions do for the future of DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. So what is prize picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players and they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That's NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA. They've got you covered for all the action over at prize picks. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That means if you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thanks so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as we have you covered for all of the NBA free agency reporting, rumors, and analysis right here at Locked On NBA. 
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Suns, Brendan Clean. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Suns. And Brendan, the Phoenix Suns with a flurry of activity at the beginning of NBA free agency, adding a ton of important depth pieces moving forward and maybe a potential starter or two, depending on how things ultimately shake out with the rest of the Suns roster this offseason. Let's start right here at the top with a couple of names that should be familiar to Suns fans, Damian Lee, Josh Kogi. How important was it retaining those two guys before we get to some of the new additions that the Suns made? I think it was big. I mean, I expected the Suns to have more uh, guys that they retained, partially because of their weird salary situation, where some of those players were the only ones they could actually pay more than the minimum two. But also just there is something to be said for continuity. They decided, you know, screw it. But I think Lee in the regular season has proven that as a floor spacer and good decision maker, he can be on good teams and 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 just be a guy you don't have to worry about. And Akogi had a nice season as uh, you know, second draft kind of low val or uh, value guy to bring in and and, re- and rehabilitate. He was playing in the playoffs. He had a much better season than I think anyone would have expected. So those guys make sense. And as wing players, obviously a position of need on any good team, but especially this one. Okay, and then a a flurry of other additions to this Suns team. Let's go through them rapid style. Drew Eubanks, Chemezi Metu, Keita Bates-Diop, Yuta Watanabe, and then also most recently Eric Gordon. Five brand new names added to this Suns roster. Let's, Let's go with the most surprising of these names to you, Brendan, and then who you think is ultimately going to be the most important addition out of this crop of five guys. Most surprising name, I think, was Keita Bates-Diop. You know, uh, locally, there was some reporting at the last second heading into free agency that he was, there was some momentum that he was going to come to Phoenix. And obviously, that tends to mean that's just sort of done already. But but prior to that, just not a player that I think was on a lot of people's radar for a great team to bring in. Um, He was with the Spurs, had a breakout year as far as a three-point shot, just playing more minutes, got to do a little bit more defensively. Coming out of college wasn't an amazing athlete and and felt like maybe just sort of a bucket getter, but has rounded out his game on a bad team in San Antonio. The question is, can he, he could be a starter here. So can he do enough of that stuff at a higher level on a better team to fill in the gaps to potentially play a major role for this team? That is kind of question number one of these, this group that we saw come in. And most impactful, I think, has to be Eric Gordon, just simply because we've seen him do it. He was probably the the most heavily pursued of this group and seemingly had uh, several opportunities going back to Houston, going to the Warriors, staying with the Clippers, maybe even for more money than that for maybe lesser teams and, and still decided to come to Phoenix where he also may start and will definitely provide them with needed, you know, on-ball defense and shooting and just somebody who can have the ball in their hands that you're not worried about. I think that's going to go a long way for this team, especially come playoff time. Yeah, Eric Gordon is definitely one of the, I think, more underrated additions for any team so far throughout this free agency period. And you can ignore the Rocket stuff hanging in the background. That's just because any playoff team would be lucky to be able to add a, a guy like Eric Gordon, especially at the price point that they got him at, right? Just over essentially what is the vet- veteran minimum uh, option on year two, all that stuff. You mentioned a couple a couple names there, right? Talking about Keita Bates-Diop and, and EG as potential starters for this Suns team. As it stands right now, I mean, what is the what should be the predicted or projected starting lineup right now for the Suns? 
it's going to come down to whether the Suns under new head coach Frank Vogel see, you know, basically do they see Devin Booker, who is probably the best on-ball defender of the superstars, um, depending on how you see Kevin Durant at this point in his career. Do they see Booker as more of a guy they want guarding bigger wings? Like when Boston comes to town or, the, you know, who do they want guarding Jalen Brown, basically? Or do they see Booker as the guy who is guarding guards and chasing, you know, John Moran or Steph Curry around? I think that's going to be the big question. And that'll determine sort of how they handle, you know, the the third star, the fifth starter, I should say. I think Bradley Beal is going to just kind of not be hidden, but guard the second or third best perimeter guy. So as far as right now, I feel like it's probably Josh Okoge. Maybe that's just the, again, kind of the, my personal uh, favoritism toward continuity and at least just going into the season with a rebuilt roster from scratch, I kind of just favor, let's bring the guy back who was starting for us the last time we played basketball. But again, it's going to come down to, do they want more size there? Kogi would be more of that guard defender and that would put Booker on more of the wing guys in the league. It's going to be an interesting question. It might be a little bit of a by committee. It might fluctuate throughout the season. Weird problem to have for a team that wants to compete for a championship, but they definitely gave themselves a lot of bites at the apple, a lot of options there. It's just going to be a matter of who steps up. And that continuity, kind of going back to the continuity element too with Josh Kogi, that might play a factor as well, right? Just a guy who's already kind of played with some of these guys, knows the other guys, that kind of thing. I know there's been a lot of speculation here, especially in the aftermath of the addition of Bradley Beal moving on from Chris Paul. You've got a ton of salary committed across four different guys now in Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton. What's your read currently on the DeAndre Ayton situation? And do any of these free agency additions maybe impact what the Suns may or may not do with Ayton? Because I know that when the when the news was first dropping and we had the notifications on for Woj and Shams, I saw Eubanks and then I saw Chemezi Metu. And I know that neither of those guys are like legitimate big, big centers, but they're bigs, right? Kind of versatile a little bit. And I thought, man, maybe this is pointing towards a, you know, DeAndre Ayton move somewhere on the horizon here for the Suns. Yeah, I actually think the the Eubanks and, and Metu signings are two that I'm maybe more nervous about than the wing and guard options that the Suns brought in just because that's just in a conference that has Nikola Jokic in it, that does worry me. So I think if the Suns were going to trade eight and they might still try to find some sort of rotation center in a deal. I know that Chris Haynes and others have reported and and a couple people here locally in Phoenix have reported that they're going forward as if Aiton will be a son. And I will take them at their word for that. But the place that I look right now, and you mentioned the signings and everything that's kind of played out as, uh, as the off season, two days of it <laughs> have gone by is the Mavs because they were the team seemingly most interested on draft night. They were offering the Suns kind of a, you know, a pile of their, you know, misfit toys back and and the Suns rightly said no to some of those offers, but if the Mavs they've now been sitting there with their mid-level exception, haven't been able to use it. They have like four centers who are passable but none that are great. If they start to look around and say like we didn't get maybe whatever plans A and B were after we got Kyrie Irving back, do we need something better at that spot? They might call the Suns back and say, hey, I know we thought this was over, but we really need a center. We'll give you a little more than maybe we said we would. And maybe that 
kind of gets things moving again. I mean, I'm willing to to be ready for anything once these bigger dominoes of Harden and Lillard, we know that creates other moves that aren't expected. I could see it coming back, but I do think the Suns will benefit from having Aiton just being their defensive anchor. If it rolls into the season that way, I think they'll be happy there too. How will the added depth pieces help out the Phoenix Suns moving forward? Is DeAndre Ayton on the way out? Could he possibly become a Dallas Maverick or be headed to another location? Or will he still be in the starting lineup come opening night? Of course, you have us covered for all that and more over at Locked On Suns. Brendan, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you. Coming up, the Los Angeles Lakers were able to add names like Gabe Vincent and Torian Prince via free agency and holding on to Austin Reeves. Nobody else making a play for him as well as some other key contributors. But is it enough to close the gap with the Denver Nuggets? We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thanks so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Lakers, Andy Kamenetsky, who you can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Lakers. And Andy, the Lakers, one of the more, I guess, active teams, at least at the start, at the offset of free agency. Let's start with the names that they retained. They were able to bring back Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, and Rui Hachimura. I want to start with Austin Reeves because I think it was a bit surprising maybe are you shocked at all that we didn't see any other team make a play for Austin Reeves was it just so so much of a foregone conclusion that the Lakers were going to max any and all offers for Reeves that we didn't even see a single team try to sign Reeves to an offer sheet at some point I'm a little bit surprised maybe not shocked just because the Lakers messaged the hell out of this and, and and I don't think they were bluffing I think if someone had gone to them with the absolute max offer for Austin Reeves, I absolutely think they would have matched it both because they need him as a player and the optics of letting him go over money after losing Alex Caruso over money would have just been terrible, particularly for a team that just made the Western conference finals. That said, I'm surprised a team didn't try it. If for no other reason than even if you don't get the player you want, you mess with the Lakers' future books. Um, because make no mistake about this, the Lakers saved potentially 40 to $50 million in terms of the contract that they ultimately gave Austin Reeves. And you know Reeves can't be upset at the Lakers. There's, there was a max they could proactively offer. But this was a massive, massive break for, for their future uh, cap sheets. It kind of feels like this summer, this offseason, this free agency period, we haven't seen, you know, historically, I guess you usually get at least one or two of those teams that just have a ton of cap space. They don't really, they're maybe a little rudderless. They don't have a direction. They're like, ah, this guy's a RFA. Let's just throw the bag at him and see what happens. And those are always the teams where you look over your shoulder and like, man, we got to watch out for XYZ team because we've got an RFA and we might wind up paying through the nose to keep them just because this one random middling team decides to throw the bag. And it feels like that didn't happen this offseason at all. It didn't happen with Cam Johnson, didn't happen with Austin Reeves, TBD on a few other RFAs that are out there. But we haven't really seen that happen. I think that's because of some of the 
I guess, uh, tentativeness with the new CBA and implications, the the tax paying teams, the second aprons, all of that stuff that it has teams maybe thinking a bit more tactically about how to spend their money. Yeah, RIP the wild, wild west. (laughs) What a time to be alive that used to be. (laughs) Now, uh, the other two guys that the Lakers managed to retain, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura. Obviously, Rui Hachimura came on really strong for the Lakers. Makes sense that they wanted to bring him back. D'Angelo Russell, I guess I was a little bit more... I mean, how are we feeling about the return of D'Lo at this point? Because he felt like a guy that was, I guess, hit or miss at times in a Lakers jersey. I actually feel really good about it. Um, He was terrible in the Western Conference Finals against Denver, and there's no way around it. At the same time, in the first two rounds, I actually thought he was on balance good with a couple great games. And during the regular season, he missed some games because of injury. But for the most part, when the Lakers looked their best, it's because D'Angelo Russell was playing well. And more importantly, because of the Lakers' cap situation, if D'Lo had walked for nothing, they would have had no avenue for replacing him. And they simply could not afford to let him go, save some insane offer coming from another team, which I don't think was going to happen because D'Lo has always been a pretty polarizing player. But he's also he's a good player. You know, he may not be a great player, but he's good. And he also provides some of the things that, at least offensively, this team really needs. They they desperately need his outside shooting. Like, other than unless you really believe in what Austin Reeves did last year, D'Angelo Russell is by far the best point three-point shooter on this team, and I don't really think it's that close. Certainly in terms of over the course of a career, he's the most established. They need his creation they need his scoring. He can create his own shot. And the other flaws in his game, mainly defensively, but I think, you know, you could say intensity, you could say, you know, certain facets, I think, of just sort of composure. You know, you you work around them. And if say they end up in the Western Conference finals against Denver again, and there are issues with him out on the floor, worry about that when the time comes. In the meantime, though. You got to win some regular season games and you got to get yourself to the Western Conference Finals. D'Lo was important last year for the Lakers getting where they did. And again, they'd have had no avenue for replacing that talent. They're not talented enough to let them just walk out the door. Some and of the, the other- price was reasonable. Uh, that's uh, those are good points to be made for sure. It wasn't like an unreasonable ask to get him to stay for for what they got him for. Some of the other names though that the Lakers did add, some of the new fresh faces, Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, Jackson Hayes, and Cam Reddish, rounding out the rest of the Lakers roster. I want to start with Gabe Vincent because I feel like he's kind of maybe the marquee acquisition, if you will, um, fresh off his run with the Heat. I, I, is it does it feel like a significant upgrade, a wash, letting Dennis Schroeder walk and bringing in Gabe Vincent, kind of that extra guard, the one you're going to bring off the bench, might situationally start a little bit. How do we feel about that kind of, you know, one piece in, one piece out? Well, I think it's a good signing. First of all, they'd have had no avenue for retaining Schroeder. What, what Toronto paid Dennis Schroeder was above the taxpayer, I mean, the non-taxpayer mid-level. You know, he it, it's about 600000 a year more than the Lakers could have paid Schroeder. So in that sense, it really wasn't an either-or. It was a we-can't-keep-Schroeder. Um, I think Vincent is comparable to Schroeder, um, particularly if you think that his playoff showing, which he was quite good, is maybe the mark of something really clicking for him and that he's a player ascending. Um, 
you know, defensively, he's a lot like Schroeder. He's a point of attack guy. He really gets at it. He's got that proverbial dog in him. Um, offensively, you know, that, that outside shot really came alive during the playoffs, but more so than it's been throughout the course of Gabriel's career. Um, I think Schroeder's a more dynamic scorer than Vincent is, but on balance, I think he's a, he's a quality sub for, uh, Dennis Schroeder, but to reflect the earlier point I was making, if Gabe Vincent had been the replacement for D'Angelo Russell, that on top of Schroeder leaving, then you're talking about an actual downgrade. But Gabe Vincent in this role, I think it's fine. I think, I think it's actually a pretty good signing. Miami, I know, had wanted to keep him. And, I mean, the, the other guys that they wanted, wound up bringing in as well, it, it feels like the Lakers did their best to kind of flesh this roster out a little bit, get, you know, some depth on the team, have a roster that they can go conceivably, you know, hopefully 10, 10-ish deep, give or take. Um but is do, does do these moves inspire a ton of confidence moving forward with where the Lakers are at? LeBron James, another year older, Anthony Davis, another year older. Were these was this enough to feel like you're going into the next season with a contender, or do we need to see another move or two made further down the line? Be it a couple of minimum guys, or is there maybe a major move that might be coming down the pipeline for this Lakers team to feel really good about their chances to run it back next year? Well, I mean, they're definitely going to look to, I, I think, add one more center, a veterans minimum guy out there, whether it's bringing back Mo, Mo Bamba, much, you know, much less expensive contract than before. Maybe Tristan Thompson again, you know, a Bismack Biombo, somebody like that. The options out there of veteran minimum are not great. Um, I do like, by the way, we hadn't mentioned him, Torian Prince, I thought was a really good pickup for the biannual exception in a lot of ways as a three and D three, four style wing. He's both a replacement for Malik Beasley and Troy Brown. And I think he's better than either one of them. Um, as far as Wait, do, do you think, do you think Torian Prince has a chance to start? I think he could actually, I think there's a possibility he could start if they want to play. If they decided to play Rui Hachimura, big, big minutes off the bench because they just wanted to balance out some of the scoring and, and make him the first player off the bench and Torian Prince, sort of a nominal starter, you know, like a 22-minute-a-night starter, 20-minute-a-night starter, but he provides some spacing. I don't think it's out of the question, um, you know, that you could maybe the same thing could happen with Jared Vanderbilt as the starting three and you play Rui off the bench. Um, but I, I think it's possible Prince could start. I, I don't think it's out of the question just because, I mean, you know this. I, a lot of times the starting lineup is more about floor combinations than your five best players. But as far as how much better they got or closing the gap between them and Denver, I think the real answer is how much better could they have gotten? They didn't have a lot of avenues to actually make drastic improvements. I think the most important thing for them this offseason was don't get worse. I think they actually got I think they got incrementally better because I think do, um, do you do, maybe they closed the gap just because Denver lost some pieces at this point. Yeah, I mean, look. What you want to be, if nothing else, I mean, I think Denver's a really good team. I was on the Denver train all of last season, and you know, I just thought they looked really good all year. But they may not. I don't think they are as good yet as Denver. I need to see it. If nothing else, I need to see LeBron and AD stay healthy all year. But you, what you want to be is, if nothing else, in a position to capitalize if something goes wrong with Denver, if the pieces in Phoenix don't click, if 
Memphis can't get back on board once jaw returns, like all those different scenarios. You want to make sure you're in the mix and have that possibility at the very minimum. I think the Lakers kept themselves in that mix. I think they had a really good off season. I really do. Did the Lakers add enough this offseason? Are they still in the mix or potentially able to overtake some of the other contenders in the Western Conference? What other moves will they make? Of course, you all have this covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Lakers. Andy, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, man. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also available on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.